We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. I was super excited to meet with this episode's guest as he has intimate involvement with a subject matter I don't know much about, music. Paul Hamilton is a musician, composer, and teacher. I thought we were going to discuss the creative process of putting musical notes on paper and all about this foreign language of musical composition. As these things happen, our conversation did not go as planned, and instead I got to know a lot about Paul and his relationship with sound. Sound is an interface for many connections in his world. I am excited to share my conversation with artist Paul Hamilton as we essentially discuss the spirit of sound. So let's talk about piano because I know okay. um, I have never played an instrument, but I do know I've always wanted to and I've always wanted to learn music, etc. Oh, yeah. But I do know that piano is considered like the, I don't know if this is the right word, like the standard because it has like, the, like it has a huge range in terms of octaves and it's kind of like the best way to learn music. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's certainly a good way to learn music because you have all the notes just laid out in front of you and yes it has an incredible range is that the only instrument that you play i dabbled in woodwinds and strings a little guitar you know just enough to be familiar with the instruments i played oboe a lot when i was in high school i can still pick up the instrument and play some stuff okay what is that experience um experiencing music i'm not even sure how to ask this question but when you are experiencing music on piano versus experiencing it, playing it on an oboe, are they closely related experience or is it like a completely different part I, of your brain? Yeah, I think they're different. It's a different physical apparatus that's in play. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it, they feel very different because you have to move when you're playing the piano. You have to control your motion. You have to control your movement according to what you're playing and how far you have to reach. It's just all physics and mechanics. Whereas with like a wind instrument or something, you can move the instrument around. Like people who play the violin or the guitar, you're, you're mobile. You can move around on your feet. Whereas with the piano, you're kind of this thing. It sits there and you have to go to it. Okay. So it's, it's less free. However, we also have the flip side of that is we don't have to hold our instrument. So we're actually completely free. We're more free in a way. So okay. And we have a pedal um, that opens up all of the strings and allows us to hold notes without using our hands. Okay. It's like, look, I, ma, no hands. I never thought about this. Mm -hmm. um, but also on the flip side, you're less free because you have to, you can't transport a piano around with you. Right. And we can't move. Yeah. Where our hands go, our hands and fingers have to go in exactly that same spot in three-dimensional space every time if you're going to play a classical piece so because the piano is physically there and you can't it can't be wrong so that's very restrictive but in a way it's like i think of playing the piano as topography and you see these uh movement artists what are they called par core like that jump over uh they go through landscapes or uh 
cityscapes and they jump over railings and they you know what i mean they they do somersaults and then they jump over from another roof it's oh, yeah, crazy yeah. there's lots of videos but you look at these people and you're like what but to me this is kind of the microscopic version of that because the topography of the keyboard is like a little landscape and you just have to move your fingers which are like little feet sort of yeah. all over the landscape it's yeah. as simple as that yeah and you have to do it exactly or very right. precisely <laughs> <laughs> that's so it's so um, i would love to did you see the movie avatar yes when you go into like someone else's brain yes body i would want to do that with a piano with you when you're playing the piano i'm so curious like point of view oh, and also in your brain i'm so curious about what it looks like to look at music and to see that as keys and to feel that <clears throat> and to, to feel like you said, your, your arms touching these ivory keys, and then you're actually producing this amazing sound. It, it, it sounds, I'm very envious that you have that experience. <laughs> that sounds really cool. When you look at music, do you, do you hear um, the notes, or how, how does that work when you're actually looking at music? So I'll just, sheet? funny you should mention that, because I have, we have, I have discussions about synesthesia often, and that is, a, that is the, this kind of, a situation in the brain where our senses overlap. Okay. So it, you mentioned earlier that senses or music can bring us back, bring back a memory mm -hmm. because of the sound that we mm -hmm. associate around hearing that music at that, it, at that particular point in time. You can listen to an oldie, say in this decade, and you can listen to it now for like six months and you'll create a whole new, more powerful memory probably around it and then you listen then you listen to the song again in 10 more years you'll have two very how shall i say more intense memories around this particular oldie but now it will be even further in the past does that make sense yes that makes sense so for me i actually smell some sounds and i see color and so for me letters and notes are a specific color so a is always red like the red in your plaid shirt it's it's bright stop sign red or like the red on that uh, uh, b is always orange c is always yellow d is black etc etc and so when i see those notes on the actual musical stave they also have that color the actual note head does <clears throat> so everything for me is color coded this is only in regards to like reading music but when it comes to hearing music and playing it it's completely different and that's like three-dimensional shapes that i see in my head especially like string players and wind players. Those, the shapes of the sound mm -hmm. are, they literally look like three-dimensional objects. It sounds like um, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, which I've never done. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Yeah, I've never done them. I, 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 know, I never will, I'm sure. But, um, you know, my friends that have taken that and they said that it's that type of thing. Like you mm -hmm. can see, um, basically have visual... Um, manifestations of music but i do get that when i fall asleep to music um i will start to see it definitely yeah well there you Bef go yeah before i fall asleep but when i'm when i'm starting to fall asleep if i have my headphones in and this used to happen to me when i was a, a kid uh and i'm sure this is typical to everybody but you actually start to see it and it's <laughs> yeah. really it's uh, interesting <laughs> well at that point your eyes are closed right correct correct so you're seeing yeah you're seeing the, the the sound stimulus being transformed into a visual yeah. stimulus. I mean, that's... Yeah, so it sounds like music is obviously more than just as simple as 
you know, your eardrums are responding to various frequencies that it penetrates into other parts of your brain. It also sounds like, I know that we had a conversation um, on the phone and it sounds like music uh, penetrates other parts of your life more than just performing and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me, a, can you tell me a little bit about that, about some of the other th- things that you're doing that your music is involved in? I've been working with um, Rob Welcher and he has a, uh, a group that he's put together with Buto and, and Contact Improv. With Puto? Buto. Buto. What's Buto? It's a, um, it's a dance form. And um, I'm not certainly an expert on describing it. It's, it's, for me, it's a lot of the, the dance forms and the practices way over my, head, my, over, way over my head. So I've, I've been working. I'm learning about it myself. Mm-hmm. But I'm learning and working with them as an improvisatory artist myself. So we're all creating... Uh, work that's new and like on the spot. So they are um, creating dance routines or whatever you would call them, and then you were creating the music that would go with it, right? But it's it's very loosely organized or formed. Meaning the um, dancers use the word score, which which basically is like an, an outline of okay, we're going to go through these sections of music or or movement and we're going to stay like 77, 75% adhered to that form, or it might stray off somewhere else. The point of it is that the skills that we learn work, working together is that we're able to uh, inventory everybody that we're with, which we're interacting and uh, assess the room that we're in and what's happening in the room by listening and feeling it and paying attention to what everybody else is doing. It's, it's, um, I don't know how to describe it, but as far as my music making, I've, it, to me, it's transformed my music making from music making to sound making. I, I, I said at my piano a couple of summers ago after having really have worked with this group and Sarah Zalek is also another artist that I just really admire and her work with this kind of improvisational body work and movement. And I sat at my piano and I said, I don't want to play music anymore. I'm going to play sound because people don't generally understand music. Like they don't care that it's this piece is an E flat Mm -hmm. and that, you know, the clarinet is transposed. It's a B flat instrument or this is a triad based on blah, 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 or the meter. They, most people don't relate to that, but everybody can relate to sound. Okay. Because that's what we hear and that's what is consumed. I say that in quotes. But that's what is witnessed or observed okay. and experienced. It sounds like you're scoring it in collab- collaboration with another creative team. It is. And so that it's, it's to me. I guess that's probably typical, though, because you would do, people do scores for movies. You and we're just doing it on the spot. And I, I happen to be the only musician, so it's easier for me to manage because I don't have another musician that's also creating sound. Um, but what... What's interesting is for dancers, dancers have to work with music that's already written. And so there was, there, the choreography is having to respond to the music, which is fixed. But in this case, dancers get to create movement and I can respond musically to their movement and create music based off of what they've just done or, or that is running simultaneously with what they're doing. So people are on a stage, yeah. dancers. Uh-huh. Performing 
stuff and is it done or is there stuff planned out ahead of time no okay and then well there are very loose scores and yeah. then you are supporting them with piano yeah but i don't play all the time in other so words it's, it's you just decide when and sometimes i move the piano like in the last performance we did over um world aids day this last win this last a year ago um we it was amazing we had some of the original quilts from the quilt mm-hmm. and there was this very beautiful respectful movement with the quilt and we hung it um but there are parts where i just moved the piano and just kind of moved it off stage or there's a lot of interesting so this de- this definitely takes a certain type of personality because even creative people are very regimented and planned out or as what you're exp- what you're describing is not that at all. You would have to be a like a, an, a, you're like an abstract painter um, on the piano. Yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. Or I could be I could actually be a literal painter too. You know, I can I could I could play a snippet of a Chopin piece just off the top of my head. It could be it's that, like you could it, just show up. go go all Andy Warhol. You know, and just mm-hmm. you know play a pop lick. You know, and do it like. 10, you know, 20 times in a row or something. Right, and there's just, ways you can, you know, like, again, we have, this is what I love about audiences now. Audiences understand the vernacular of so many cultures and music because we have access to it. So yeah. in that sense, you can quote something and somebody in, in Singapore will go, oh, I get that. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? That, that's what I love about, um, the ability to share music now mm-hmm. the other thing is that we sometimes i think get lost our local cultures get lost our local musical cultures so what do you mean? well in other words we don't we end up listening to what's universally appealing and we don't pay attention to what's locally appealing okay because they're there and you can hear these musicians in chicago now here and there's something to be, for example, I went to hear Dave Matthews last summer and um, uh, Preservation Hall Jazz warmed up and they were amazing. And it was all of this tropical, it was not the beats that I expected. I said, oh, wow. So that's what, that's what's cool. And that's what's happening at Preservation Hall Jazz in New Orleans right now. But I don't go to New Orleans and I haven't been in a while. So I'm not, a, I'm not privy to that or aware of that. Mm-hmm. And, the, and recordings are not, I'm not necessarily going to find that or learn that from Spotify necessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. But by hearing them in person, now I'm aware of what was locally. I don't think that they were just creating that music just specifically. I think that they're, they're quoting what's going on in their culture. Right. So Does that make sense? Yeah, so. that makes sense that you were, you were experiencing something um, that was local, a local expression. Yes, yeah, so that's, I mean, we have all, the music scene in Chicago is amazing. I can't even, I mean, we're like, we have the best of the best, right? Well, I don't know. I assume we do because we have the best of the best of everything. Like I said, <laughs> I, lived, I moved here two years ago. And um, in terms of a big city and having everything that a big city offers, like this is the, this has got to be the, one of the best places to live in the United States. Um, if you want a little city and the things like an Austin, Texas or an mm-hmm. Asheville, North Carolina, that's more your flavor. Obviously, Chicago is not your thing. But if you like all of the stuff that like an L.A. and a New York or a Houston, like the arts type of things, 
I think Chicago is your best bet because well, everyone's friendly. Also, it's easy to get around, and there's everything. Now, I don't know about yeah. the music scene, but I'm I'm assuming <clears throat> maybe you can introduce me to it, so I can um, learn about it. Oh wow, I've got a lot of homework to do. So there's there's a lot of music that I want to still to discover, and so I'm actually changing my listening habits and my going out habits. So it's I don't have any set pattern. Okay. So. Something that's that's going to be new to you is most likely going to be new to me. <laughs> if you want to, like, sure. <laughs> then we'll do a podcast about that. How about that? Absolutely. I get to do one every Monday, so I'm always looking for topics. I, I will say, for one of my one of my go tos is um, uh, Alfonso Ponticelli, and he plays at the Green Mill. And for when some when I bring somebody to Chicago or they've never been to Chicago, I love to take them there and hear this man. Play really? the guitar. Oh my uh, god! He ha- he always has. There's like four musicians. So he has a rhythm guitarist, and he has a bassist and a violinist, and he plays gypsy jazz and uh, a lot. He plays a lot, a lot of straight up jazz, and he also has a guest artist with him very often. So that's a good wow to hear the acoustic sound that they they make and in that room is amazing. What's the uh, is the, are the acoustics good in that room? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think it's been, you know, just refined over so many years. Yeah. It's you, a tight do sound. Re- do you go there regularly? Not a whole lot. I live down the street and I should, but I just, you know, there's, I've got so much listening going on, right? Yeah. No, I've never, like I said, I've never been there. I mean, it's not like, it's not on my radar. I, I'm kind of like waiting for the reason to go. Um, but it's always showing up on my Facebook feed, like artists that I follow are performing there. So I just, I just need to do it. Something else that you mentioned when we spoke on the phone was work with Alzheimer's patients. Oh, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I feel very privileged to be a part of this work. And it started out as a study um, and an endeavor without going too much into the details of about how it was formed. Um, what we do is we, we have a rehearsal. We have a, a senior citizens living center at, and that's local. And we'll have a rehearsal of about four to six musicians. And it's a wide variety of stuff. We might do a song from the 30s, a song from the 40s, then a classical piece. Then, you know, My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. So we're doing songs and music that will be from each, roughly each decade of a person's life that say is now 75 to 80 years old. Wow, that's amazing. So we're having to look... We're having we're learning music that we would never encounter, uh, which is really fascinating. And I'm working with these amazing musicians that are so versatile. So it'd be we'll have like a cellist, a pianist. We always have a pianist on the gig, um, a guitarist, a singer, and a flutist. That will be one combination. And this is all very kind of carefully planned out. And then we have a short performance of about forty-five to fifty minutes okay. with these um, patients and usually a family member or two and then this wonderful staff of whatever facility that we're working in and then a whole host of music therapists and their uh, apprentices or so are you are you performing at like a memory support facility or is it a general facility general facility with and they pull in the people with memory with um, dementia and Alzheimer's, yes. Okay. Now, how did you and get they, into this? 
I w- it, it was I was recommended by a singer who used to be involved in the program, and then I, I came on. We always have two pianists. We have two pianists that rotate in and out. So I rotate with Mabel Kwan. Yeah, so there's always a pianist at the gig. So And it runs for roughly 14 weeks, and we've done this now for three years. So what are these patients getting out of listening to what you produce? Oh, that's a great question. So one one patient, he uh, I uh, was... He didn't remember the performance that we had had, and it had only been about ten or fifteen minutes. And so I looked at his daughter. She's she's a, an adult woman. I mean, she's grown. And and I said, let's ask him how he feels. And I said, um, the next time, because I had seen her at another performance, and I said, let's ask him how he feels the next time after the performance. Right. And so I saw him that day. I said, hey, how you know. How's it feel? How's it going today? He says, oh, great. I said, how do you feel on a scale of one to 10? He says, like a nine. And I just looked at her and I said, there you go. Like it's an afternoon and you're with your father. And he, and for him, from his point of view, he feels like he's a nine. That's how good he feels. Whether he remembers the performance or not, that, that, uh, that pleasure response, when you, when you listen to music or you know you're going to have see a great movie, that pleasure response that, that goes off in the brain doesn't just evaporate the instant the music's over. Mm-hmm. It lasts in the body. It's released into the body. So those chemicals, he still felt the benefit. And this is, I'm serious about this. This is like profound. That he had relief in his physical body because of the music that he heard and doesn't remember. But he still had the benefit of it in his body for hours. That makes complete sense to me. It's like, amazing. None of that is a surprise to me, really. But that that's amazing that you are a part of that. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I mean, because to me, music, obviously, if you look at how big the industry is and the amount of money that people are spending on um, music, to me, that means it has value. That means it is changing the way people feel. Yes. Um, and that's awesome. And I think it is incredible that you are create, you have the ability to create something that changes the way people feel. Yes, I, that's I'm so envious that you have that. <laughs> that's so cool. But you you're feel- creating something that you're you're helping. Hey, Rick, the, what you're doing here with these podcasts, you're inviting people or witnesses to feel something. Mm-hmm. You're not making them feel something. You're inviting them to feel something. And when people are invited, they'll almost always. Um, except because that's a good feeling to be invited. It's, it's good to be asked to mm-hmm. like, say, Hey, I'd like for, or say, Hey, I want you to feel this. But I think it's, I'm learning that it's better to invite witnesses or an audience to feel something. Sound helps us feel music works on an intellectual level, especially for musicians. Like when I listen to music, I listen to it musically sometimes. And, but when I want to feel something, I listen to the music that makes me feel good. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Or, or, makes, you Sound feel, or and... makes you feel something. I mean, I have music that makes me bawl. There's songs that I listen to and they just make me cry. Uh, you know, every time I listen to them or I start to sing them. Well, what was um, it B.B. King that said, if you want, if you feel feeling sad, um, go listen to the blues or listen to something that's sad and it'll make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... You know he's right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it sounds sort of anti. Um, 
it doesn't seem to make sense. But it's kind of like people who are hyperactive, they give them Adderall and it calms them down. So maybe it's the same type of thing. Reins it in, so to speak. Who knows? Focuses it. Yeah, I think so. That's the, that's the thing is that we are mostly passive listeners as consumers of music in this day and age. And, and so to listen actively is when I hear young musicians like these musicians that I just worked with last week and I hear this bass player who knows all this rep, it's like he's being thoughtful. It's apparent to me that he's being thoughtful and uh, active with his listening rather than just hearing the music. So what's it like when you are performing <clears throat> with other artists? Like what is the energy? What's the relationship oh. with, like? What, it's the best. What is, can you describe that? Yeah, I would love to. And again, I've, I've really changed my approach to how musicians, how we interact. If I'm putting the position to be a quote unquote musical director on a project, Paul, you have to, you have to create all this music and everybody's got to work together. For me, it's about what are the relationships between all of those musicians? It's, and it's to me, the relationship is very important because when we share information, we become familiar with each other. Mm -hmm like you and I are doing now. So that's what we do as musicians. And when you've got comfort around that process, then you've got just, you get the best of the best mm -hmm. music and it's wonderful for everybody. Why shouldn't there be pleasure around what we're doing? I know I'm describing something that maybe sounds obvious, but as a classical musician and a lot of musicians, we learn in university to be very task-oriented and goal-oriented. Mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of music making, it takes a certain, it takes a feeling out of the music. It becomes the, it becomes about the person, uh, one person's view of how all the music should sound. So, for example, in this, in these rehearsals for this last job I was on, I said we're gonna take up space when, when one person's soloing. Let's think of it as taking up audible space. And so I didn't use musical terms. I, I went back to these terms and these kind of abstract forms that I'm learning with Sarah Zalik and Rob Welcher and these movement creators. And this... The, dan the dance people. Yeah. Interesting. And so I've been applying these principles in like all areas of my life. And how did they receive it? When oh my gosh. Well, it was amazing because they would respond to... When they, when they realize that there's now everybody else is giving space that that person feels welcome to take up the space, the audible space, like when you're going to have a bass solo or a vocal solo. And so I'd say, instead of, instead of saying, Hey, Cherie, sing loudly here and everybody else sing pianissimo or play pianissimo. I said, at this point, we all want to, allow Charisse to take up space. And so everybody automatically yep. adjusts all the dynamics. So there's a lot of, all of that stuff becomes built in and it's based on everybody listening instead of one person, me, the quote unquote musical director saying and having to just map out the, every song. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. No, it's now it's up to everybody. Yeah. It sounds like you were using language that was less about directive and more about the, the relationships between them and changing the relationships between the different musicians and the relationship between them and what's going on the music. Cause we have a relationship with that too. It's that thing that we're all trying to manage. 
And so now it becomes not about everybody managing what my directive, but it's about everybody using the natural skills that music allows us, which is being able to create on the spot and use our ears and our eyes and being aware of the other music makers in the room and ultimately the audience or witnesses in the room. Everybody affects it all. And so it was to great effect because when we did something, something simple as mechanical as, hey, we have this person's walking on stage. We have to play them on. It's like the Tonight Show, The Roots plays on a guest. And I said, we're all going to pay attention to when that person walks down to the mic and they're set. So that way it's not up to me going, okay, everybody, it's time to stop and me throwing my hand up and being the director. It's like, we don't need that. The eight musicians, we're all smart enough to see and so all of the, the music was dovetailed and beautiful. Even those beautiful little details like that, everyone was paying attention to. And everyone felt a part of it. So it's, it's wonderful to make those connections. And yeah. to me, that's what I've learned a lot about this Buto and uh, contact improv. Yeah, it sounds like that, cha- that sounds like that experience with the dance has changed your relationship a little bit to how you see music. It has, it has profoundly changed. That. And where did Absolutely. that come from? Was that just a, is that something you stumbled into? Um, Rob and I have known each other for years and, but had never been able to work together. So this was a first time. And, um, so we did the project twice, two summers more or less in a row. And, um, so we're remounting some of that again. It's hard to describe. I really can't, uh, it's very different than anything yeah, else that I do. I think it's amazing that you can have a something that has been part of your life for so long that your relationship has changed. You know, at this point in your life, your relationship with it changed just because you were open. You know, if you are open and you're not rigid, you don't know what kind of people you're going to connect with or you're open to new experiences. It could really like transform, transform you. And transform your life. I recently had this conversation. Thank you for saying that yeah. and recognizing that. I recently had this conversation with an artist, um, Michael Nolan, and he was he was awesome. And one of the things that he told me that relates to this was he he goes through life thinking that the next stranger that he runs into could possibly change the course of his life, and that's how he goes through the world. And that's an amazing way to be because it makes you very open. And I think that that's, I'm recently in the, you know, the last couple of years, I'm realizing that that is very important to, well, certainly in living a creative life. But um, I think in being, being fulfilled is being less rigid and paying attention to what is being presented to you in the world, what the universe is presenting you. And that's what you pay attention to. And that's what you go with. And I think that can yield really good results. Bravo. I couldn't. Well said. I mean, I agree 100%. That was a beautiful way to put that. Getting back to, you know, paying attention, responding to what's presented to us, going with, you know, what you feel, going, you know, leading with your, um, your gut a little bit more than, than your brain, that you need to be open to failure. You need to be open to moving forward without a plan. Um, are you comfortable with that? Have you always been, you're obviously comfortable with it now. Were you always comfortable with that? Or was that something 
that you always had to make sure that you had a success plan um, before you opened up and did something. For me, um, I was always someone that had to have a success plan um, in terms of the careers that I chose, really everything. Um, even there was always a end result in mind, even with the people that I interacted with or that I chose to spend my time with. It was always about not like what can this do for me, but I had to see like this going somewhere mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. Um, and that gets you one result. If you do something where you are just leading with, I don't like leading with your heart, but like leading with your gut and like what feels right, even though you can't see uh what's ahead and what the what the plan is but just going with it that's going to get you different results Uh, and you have to be very comfortable with doing that and that speaks to all of creativity is a big you know falls in that bucket um so i get my question again is just are you just someone which side are you in which bucket are you in are you someone that always like to have a plan i have i have more short range plans that's kind of probably the way I am more. And again, this kind of moves over into the business aspect of, you know, making a living, you know, and planning for the future, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, they do create different results. And I, I tend to like the, the first version of, you know, being goal oriented and what to me, I tend to like that method the least. Oh, you like that the least. Because it usually gets me my goal, but then I'm always like, yeah, okay, well, maybe I should give myself more credit for achieving goals. I think probably 80% of what I do is based on what, what you're describing in the latter. <laughs> it's like just because it's not, like you said, it's not just your heart and instinct. Now I'm 54 years old. I have a collection of a lot of memories and experiences and decisions. So I'm, I'm making. I'm, uh, how shall I say, I'm assessing my risk in a different way than I was when I was 28 or 30. Totally. <laughs> and so I'm bringing to the table a lot more, uh, uh, let's say I've picked up a lot more tools, so I'm not just kind of floating. It's still directive, but it's more about, like you said, kind of building the relationships or the connections rather than me singularly achieving my goal sounds like you're right on track uh, for 54 years old thank <laughs> as you far, as far as i'm concerned uh i think that sounds like where you're you know where you should be in well i opinion. loved what you said about you said it it making those changes at any point in your life it makes you more open it allows you to be more open like the dis, you know the decision to work with rob and to put that as a priority um because it's it's changed it's certainly, you can look at it practically and say, oh, that opens doors to all these different kinds of experiences. But it's more about what I have to contribute and how that fits in with what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. That's more important to me rather than me achieving my singular goals because I love collaboration and I like the good feels with people like, wow, how lucky am I to be in this profession um, but Rick, I've, I've played at the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and Orchestra on international TV a year ago with Robert Sims, and they played my orchestration, the, the huge 70, 80 member orchestra. And yeah. I got to play it on the piano there and they got it, 
you know. And is then it, after, is this, on, is this on YouTube? Yeah, all it's right. Well, for, make, sure, we'll make sure we post it on um, people it's listening. For, can see it. It's Robert Sims, S I M S, and he was um, featured a year ago for the uh, Martin Luther King weekend. So it's that broadcast from early January of 2019, and but and then they sang to us after the, the they brought us out for another ovation and. Robert and I sat there and faced this 350 voice choir and they sang to us till we meet again. Like, how do you quote unquote top that in your career? Like what? Yeah, that sounds like you just don't like it's happening. And I had seen them do this to another artist on YouTube before. So when they asked us to turn around, I knew what they were going to do. Robert didn't. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like to be treated that with that kind of, respect and and for our artistry and for my respect for their artistry and i've had so many incredible performances with robert sims as a collaborative pianist and um but at the same time you know i'm working some with ravinia outreach and we go into some of the chicago elementary schools and we play i work with cornelius johnson and kim jones and we sing some opera for these kids and the kids get to come up and touch the piano. They've they've been taught, oh, don't touch that thing. You know, you're that you're not allowed. Right. And I, and I show them that you can touch it nice. and you can make sound. And the wonderful thing about the piano is that you can play one note and you've created a beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. It's not so easy to do that on the violin. You got to like work a while to be able to draw the bow across or, the string or the, and make a or pretty the sound. Flute. Yeah, That's, the, yeah. and kids love that about the piano that you can make a beautiful sound instantly. Anybody yeah, can. Anybody so. can, even a little baby. So, and and to me, it's the same. My music making, whether it be right there with you know in Salt Lake City or at Lincoln Center with Robert Sims this May, or you know, right here in Chicago with this group of kids. To me, the music making is the same because I'm inviting the witnesses in the room to feel something that and people love to be invited. <laughs> that's amazing. That, um, that's a great, that sounds like a wonderful, wonderful experience as a creative person. Can you give a couple suggestions, tips or guidelines to people that are listening to this? You have had, it sounds like a very interesting, exciting, fulfilling, creative experience with music. Um, you know, people listening to this, what can you, what's some advice you can give people? A couple things. Well, I think that playing an instrument is certainly a good way to open up those channels. Mm-hmm. I believe that the brain is permanently flexible. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> totally. I have a one piano student at a time that I usually work with. And so I've had two piano students in 20 years in Chicago. And one has just finished his university degree and he's a brilliant pianist. This other pianist is a grown up and a professional pianist wanted to refine his classical style. And I started teaching him in short bursts, like a toddler learns. Mm-hmm. And you watch toddlers and they, they change what they're doing very quickly but when they're on a thing, on a task, they're into it. Mm-hmm. And then they're very quickly moving to the next thing. And that, to me, is how the brain acquires... It's the best way for the brain to acquire new information. That makes sense, because a toddler is trying to... Its brain is developing. 
is all about acquiring new information. Yeah. Everything's new information. Like I, I can look at the wood on your table and know how it feels on my hand if I rub it across it. But a toddler doesn't know that. And so they want to rub it across that grain and feel that for the first time. So, but I can actually, actually feel it myself now by doing it. Um, so it's that kind of experiential learning that has, so this band has learned to refine and play the classical style of piano, which is very strict and very which, technically, which band? huh? Which I'm sorry. Which this band? my, my piano student. Oh, your piano student. Your, your, yeah. This man. Oh, <clears throat> this sorry. man. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you said this band. And he is, uh, it's to great effect like to see him acquire these tools and to change actively change his brain it's it's just amazing to me yeah so that at is... any age we can acquire what we want and so my advice is for anyone that says oh i always wanted to learn the piano hey learn the piano or i always wanted to you know learn an instrument no matter how simple but the act of music making engages so much of our senses and so much of our brain power. And I will say this too, as a pianist, I have this other little gift that pianist, that being a musician has for me. And I'm finding out that this is for a lot of people that it's self-soothing and that I don't really feel a lot of pain or sickness in my body when I'm actually playing the piano. Interesting. And it's a, it's a huge gift. You are very lucky. I, talk I am. To, I talk to a lot of people that have that with different things, such as ah. um, writing music. Like I've interviewed a lot of people that had issues with um, OCD and depression, and they would use um, artwork as a way to um, redirect their thoughts or to make themselves feel better. Um, so that's wonderful that you have that available to you. That, that's great. Self-soothing. And so that to me is... That to me is a noble um, goal or aspiration for anyone who wants to make music. And I'm talking about playing music. But listening to, listening actively is also can help people overcome pain or sickness or to feel better in yeah. the moment. Um, or, or after the moment, as we talked about. because it And not the artistic quality or the... It's that you're that the act of self-soothing. It's like when when we help ourselves feel better, then we're better able to help others feel better. Or, I think that we just are better people when we take good care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's and that it's okay as a music maker. And I'm talking about as as someone who say is a grown up an adult now and wants to learn a music musical instrument for the first time. That it's not that that person's not trying to achieve a standard or a goal. Right. But that the, the 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 good cause and that the the good aspiration is to self soothe, like that's a good enough reason. And that sounds like a healthy. There's a lot of other uh, unhealthy ways to self soothe, and that sounds like a very healthy one. Yeah, I agree. Good. Well, thank you very much for coming to my home and talking to me. Um, this is a great experience doing this podcast because you and I didn't know each other an hour ago and we just had a pretty intimate conversation and, yeah. and a very intense, it's an intense way to get to know someone in a very short period of time. Wouldn't you agree? I do. And thank you so much, Rick. This is really, really, uh, outstanding. Like I, I really, really enjoyed hearing what you had to sharing what you, how you feel and what you, your point of view. And then, 
I feel privileged to, to sit here and, and share my point of view with you. Okay, great. Is there any place that people can learn more about you? You have a website or a YouTube channel or something? Um, it's coming soon. I have a lot of <laughs> disparate, you know, kind of social media. So And so I, I have, everything is going to collect into CuriousMan.com pretty CuriousMan. soon. CuriousMan.com. With a K. Yeah, CuriousMan.com. CuriousMan.com. And um, it's offline right now because I'm actually branding and getting a lot of that stuff done right now. So I'm actually pretty excited about that. That'll be my music making uh, spot. So, okay, great. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much. My name is Ricky McGuckrin and you have been listening to eager to know the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast. Join me next week for another eager to know podcast.